to me as a human being, I'm interested, and I know this is just my personality, but I'm more interested in the unseen, the things that you can't see with your eyes, like which is 99.9999% of your life is unseen. You can't see it, but it's there and you know it's there. So there's such a depth to this human experience and to just get caught up in the superficial day-to-day news cycle is very, is so superficial. And it's, again, and I'm not denigrating it. It is what it is. Like everyone is on their journey. Everyone is somewhere along the journey and all the phases of the journey are good. Podcast Junkies, here we are, episode 300, eight plus years, started this in January, got the idea in January 2014, launched April 2014, we are now August 2022, if you do the math and you (laughs) realize that I haven't been publishing on a consistent weekly schedule, but I think what's most important for me is that I've always had the platform and had the opportunity to have conversations with some of the most fascinating, funny, inspiring, uh, influential, genuine, sincere people in in my podcasting sphere, in what I like to call the potosphere. And it's just been an incredibly amazing wild ride. I'm recording this the evening before I head out to Dallas to Podcast Movement. And that in and of itself brings a whole nother sort of uh, collection of memories because 2014 was when I intended the very first podcast movement. And for those of you that don't know, it started off as a Kickstarter campaign. And then I think they were trying to raise 10K to be in a smaller hotel in Dallas, quickly met that goal, had to change hotels. And that's the one where we ended up in 2014. And I was so excited because I had just launched this show and I was like, whoa, a conference of just podcasters. This is going to be amazing. Shout out to some of the, my peeps from who were there with me in 2014 and 2015. We had such a good time. It was a completely different show than it is now, the conference that is. And the show itself, I think, was probably different than it was then because I was just getting my feet wet with those early episodes. I remember uh, connecting with folks like Elsie Escobar, uh, Dave Jackson, School of Podcasting, and uh, Chris Cerrone, who I don't think is no longer podcasting, one of my good, good friends from early in the podcast movement days, John Lee Dumas. So shout out to the Podcasters Paradise peeps. And yeah, so many people, so many people I can't even begin to start to name and thank for getting to this point. But I felt like 300 was an amazing opportunity to just take a breath, <laughs> take a beat, take a pause. And say thank you, the listeners, for everyone that's been listening, who listened in the beginning, is no longer a listener, who just discovered the show maybe today with episode 300. And I want to tell you that it's an important platform for me to have to bring on people that I admire in the space to continue to talk to folks who are doing good things. As a result of the podcast, I started my own agency, Fullcast, and then I started a second show in 2022 sorry, 2020, uh, which is the Vertical Farming Podcast, which I'm going to be speaking about at Podcast Movement on Thursday. So all the pieces are coming together. It's been such an incredible journey. I want to thank you, the listeners specifically, because without you listening week in, week out, or maybe episodically, or just seeing a name that you like, and that maybe maybe, uh, encourage you to check out the show. It's just been a passion project of mine. Shout out to my sponsor, Focusrite. Shore has been a sponsor in the past. So many other folks that I'm probably leaving out. Podcast Movement itself has been a sponsor. Thank you to all folks who have been helping me in the production of the show. Various teams I've worked with. My current team right now, 
you know, it sounds like I'm on stage uh, giving an, an awards uh, talk right now. So this is an award for me that I gave to myself for me making the um, the milestone of episode 300. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to anyone who needs to be thanked and who's going to be thanked in the future. I'm excited and um, really grateful to be hitting this milestone. In case you missed last week's episode, I spoke to Majid. Mogaraban. I think I always have have a challenge with that name. But Majid and I connected years ago at a speakers conference. He's an amazing, amazing speaker. He's mentored hundreds of business owners to and inspired audiences around the world. He's got wit. He's got humor. He's got directness, which I love. And we talk a lot about being intentional and uh, the process of becoming, which is a really deep topic. And uh, Majid was the perfect person to have that conversation with. The perfect person to be on this show is an old friend, Chris Curran. He's the founder and the lead instructor of Podcast Engineering School, where he teaches folks how to produce podcasts at the highest professional level. And that's definitely uh, something that's attributable to his experience in the industry. He hosts the Podcast Engineering Show and The Mystic Show. And we reflect in this episode on spirituality, overcoming limiting beliefs, and Chris's expertise in the industry I'm really honored to be able to share this episode with you and honored that the timing worked out where it's Chris that's 300. And I think that's very fitting, especially for a show that's about podcasting and about people in the podcasting industry. So to all my past guests, once again, thank you so much for gracing your presence on my show, if I formatted that sentence correctly. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think I'll let you get into this. If you're loving the show, as always, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. Stay tuned for the retention hashtag at the end of the episode. And then right after a couple of words from the folks that support this show, we'll dive straight into this interview with Chris. I'm grateful for the opportunity to partner with Focusrite. I'm so excited to talk about their newest line of sound cards, the Vocaster. It's got an endless list of features. I'll go through a couple here. Auto gain, easily set your levels with the click of a button. With more than enough gain on tap, 70 dB, no booster needed. An enhanced feature, which allows four podcaster-approved voice presets, which will bring out the best in any voice. You can silence the mic with the touch of a mute button and record phone calls, high-quality music, or any audio from your device seamlessly. You can record to a camera directly to its memory card. It's got a loopback feature to stream calls or any other audio you can think of from your computer. And three amazing packages of software, Hindenburg Lite, three months of Squadcast Pro plus video, and six months of Acast Influencer. What an amazing package. You can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. Chris Curran, founder of Podcast Engineering School. Did I get that right? Yeah podcast engineering school founder and lead instructor yes og podcast og longtime podcast junkies friend we're trying to figure out before we started recording i'll have it before we're done the episode you appeared on which was probably that first year i got started and so grateful to you for taking the chance on someone you probably didn't know too well back then yeah i think we had met at an event. So we did kind of hang out a little and talk and then you invited me on. So I was very comfortable and I appreciated it. And so what's funny is we see each other at the conferences or or in the hallway, (laughs) running in the hallway, like, Hey, Harry, Hey, Chris. And then we always think that we're going to have time and we think, Oh, it's going to be more meaningful because we're in person so we can slow down. But the reality of the conferences, and I'm speaking of PodFest most recently is that just we're all busy. We've all got stuff to do and folks in our 
colleagues and peeps, if they've been doing it a while, they're probably speaking. So that's probably on their mind or they have booths or they're running sessions or there's so many things going on. So that was top of mind for me. And I'm just like, I know we had been having a couple of chats and I was like, let's figure out what's going on with you and have a proper catch up and just record it. Sure. <laughs> and that's why I love the show. It, gives, it brings a smile to my face when I can see these events pop up on my calendar when I'm not canceling them. <laughs> and we're like, oh, cool. We're going to talk. Chris and I are going to talk and we're going to just going to like see where it goes and not knowing where it's going to go is fun too. Yeah, and I'm actually curious about what you're up to as well, because again, I haven't gotten the update in a while. Yeah, I think since we, I mean, since we last chatted, obviously, Podcast Junkies is closing in on episode 300. This may be nice. I have to look at the timing here. Maybe Chris can be episode 300. <laughs> so I'll see if we can make that happen. But that's yeah, definitely as the time of this gets published, and we are in July 7th, 2022, for this. So I think the journey for me has been interesting because I haven't. I don't know, talked about it in a while, but I have Podcast Junkies and the agency full cast that I started in 2015. So that's like the full-time business where we produce shows for clients. And then I'll jump into like an interesting journey that that's taken. And then the Vertical Farming Podcast, which I started in 2020. And some folks, listen, regular listeners will, will know what I'm talking about. But essentially, I read a book called Abundance by Peter Diamandis. It took me down this rabbit hole of vertical farming. I looked at the industry. It was getting a lot of influx of investment money, which means marketing dollars. And so I, I said, let me interview people who are highly visible. So just CEOs and founders. We have an agency. Like I know how to produce a show. I've been doing podcast junkies for almost seven, eight years. I know how to do long form interviews. And so all those came together and they coalesced into the show. And I got a sponsor from before I even launched the show. I launched it in the middle of COVID. So this concept of like food security, food shortages, supply chain, this was top of mind. So it was really like a perfect storm. These sponsors and big companies couldn't go to conferences at which they were paying $20,000 for these booths, right? And so I'll talk a little bit about that at the, my talk and podcast movement in Dallas. But essentially, I asked them, hey, would you like to be a sponsor of this show? This is what I'm building. It's in vertical farming. It's a niche. And they signed on. First one signed on for 9K before I even launched episode one. Nice. Yeah. So it's been a fascinating journey. I'm closing in. I just wrapped up an interview before this call and closing up on season five. And every season has had a sponsor since. And so it's an interesting model because a lot of people talk about CPM and worrying about getting the downloads first. And I'm like, why don't you actually build something that sponsors would want to participate or partner with you on? So that's really, I didn't know that I'd end up here, but it's been exciting. And I'm talking to other companies in the space about producing shows. Now I came back, I just been to two podcasts, uh, two indoor farming conferences this year. <laughs> and I came back with 20 more interviews after this last one in New York City. Wow. So, and just building relationships. And there's a company that wants me to help them with their marketing that's in the vertical farming space and advising on a new app that they're building. <laughs> this is within the span of like two and a half years. So to all the podcasters out there, you know, and anyone listening who knows Chris or myself, just, you never know, like Dave Jackson, like our friend likes to say, because of my podcast, right? Right. So that's the short and sweet recap. And we can jump. I'd love to hear what you've been up to as well. Yeah, I wrote down. So vertical farming, I wrote down the name because I want to hear it. And also my wife will want to hear it. My wife's big into gardening. We have a small garden, but she's all about gardening and also sort of like preparing food for if there's ever like food shortages and stuff. Like she recently got this thing, which I think it like dries out 
some certain types of food and then you can like vacuum seal it yeah. and it'll stay good for, I mean, at least a decade or something ridiculous. It's a forgotten skill. I'm in Minneapolis now with Natalie, my partner, you know, and uh, she, her family was grew up here. And if you go back, you just have to go back maybe one or two generations like her grandparents, they had potatoes in the cellar, they were pickling, smoking meat. We always go up to her father's cabin up north uh, and he's probably, I've asked him, I'm like, how long could you stay in this without having to go outside? He's like, probably a year at least. Wow, he's like, that's great. Yeah, and he hunts too. So yeah, sorry. So that's the topic you were on. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's now more relevant than ever because apparently, even though we haven't had real food shortages yet, but we've had the supply chain issues and apparently there's a delay to the effect of these supply chain issues. So oh yeah, like this year we're okay. But because they're not growing as much, and this, I'm not an expert on this at all, but this is what I've heard that next year, or maybe this winter or next spring and summer, that's when we could have a big problem. You know, what's interesting about that is it's hard for an American culture to, that's always had easy access to food. And just, you literally just can go down the street and just every shelf is stocked. And to think that we would be in a position where we wouldn't have access to food as readily as we'd like. We get flashes of it because we saw it in COVID when decided what was the important food that they needed. And <laughs> and I saw it a little bit when I lived in New York City during Hurricane Sandy. You know, New York City had a blackout for like six days. And it was very interesting how that mechanism in people, you know, the fear kicks in and we take that for granted. And then everyone goes at the same time. So it's not something like we're used to preparing for. And we're always, I feel like, if it's not something that's going to affect me in the next three months, it's hard for me to think about how do I plan for that. So it's a different mindset to be thinking about what could it look like if that were the case a year from now or six months from now, what would you do differently? And not enough people are having that conversation. Yeah, because we haven't needed to. and But now when the need comes, that's when the conversation will start. And overall, I mean, I've traveled overseas a bit to India many times, actually, and this is for the last few decades. And so I've seen at least some other parts of the world and they don't live like Americans live. Like yeah. Americans are the most ungrateful people ever, like in the history of the world ever. <laughs> and again, as long as everything's going fine, that's, sure. I guess it's okay. But when the problems arise, which they might, it's going to knock a lot of people off their pedestal, so to speak. Were you always like this? Were you always sort of aware of what's happening socially and environmental stuff? No. When did this start to become top of mind for you? When everyone started going insane over Trump. When Trump got elected, even just before he got elected. Yeah. And then after, all the stuff after was like, I never paid attention to politics or social, nothing. Saw what happened and what is happening. And on both sides. Sure, sure. Not one side or the other, because I'm one of these rare, semi-rare people who, I don't like the left or the right. Or any label for that matter, because the purpose of the label is so you can be pigeonholed, so you can be targeted, so you can figure out like what side you're on. And I'm doing air quotes here now. So, and I think we're moving anyone who's a sovereign being who is making decision to take responsibility for their own independence is going to realize like none of these people speak to me and I need to start thinking for myself and thinking what it is that I believe to be true. Yeah, the politicians are the ones who are preaching this left versus right because they want us fighting with each other and they don't want free thinkers. And so anyway, I mean, I love everybody. I think 
I don't, I'm not against really any, I mean, I've actually over the past, during COVID, especially I started learning more about anarchism and it's like the most misunderstood word in the English language. Sure. It's fascinating, dude. It's fascinating. And again, it might be triggering. <laughs> it might not be like implementing full anarchism might not ever be possible in reality. Yeah. But thinking about it is good. That's what I've found. I'm sure like everything that's been eventually like corrupted and made into the, this very evil thing, there's aspects of or tenets of anarchism that if you peel, you know, pull out the specifics of that and what the intention about is, there's probably stuff in there about sovereignty and taking control of your own destiny and stuff like that, which gets lost in that conversation. But I think we need to just really be able to hear opposing opinions, talk to people that disagree with us, like explore subjects that are taboo, like socialism, communism, like all these things, like there's lessons to be learned in everything. And there's really like when people talk about, you know, banning books and stuff like that, I'm like, we just open your minds to the possibilities of everything. And then you figure out if you're an intelligent human being, you can start to kind of piece together. Does that make sense? Does that pass the sniff test? And I hope more and more people are starting to awaken to that possibility. I think so. I think we're going through that process now and it's going to take a while and it's who knows if it'll ever finish. Like, I mean, it's going to be a work in progress forever, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully people can open their minds and relax and calm down, stop acting like animals. Cause that's the thing. It's like, are you an animal? Are you a human? Are you divine? Are you an angel? What are you right now? Most everyone on earth is acting like just an animal. They're not even at the human level yet. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. It's survival mechanism. Feels like it's kicking in. Well, it's just brainwashing. It's propaganda yeah, and brainwashing. True. Everyone's yep. brainwashed, but no one wants to admit that they're brainwashed. Everyone thinks that their party's the best. And it's like, dude, you're just, <laughs> you don't even see it. And they don't see yeah. it. No. And that's okay. So that's what it is. I found solace in podcasting. I just found a new podcast today. I'm in more on the spiritual side to folks that know me. I've been listening to me. So I get into like the really metaphysical stuff and I found a new show that I currently like. But again, it's, there's some solace in, I don't know what it's been like for you, but in the world of podcasting, like if you just know where to look or you're curious, you'll get to some places where you're like, oh, it's like sane people like having conversations that I want to hear more of. And you start to hear certain names and like, oh, they've got a show. And it's been really helpful for me to just try to get through the day to day and stay out of the news cycle. Yeah, me too. In fact, I have a podcast, which I started in 2014, but I haven't put out a new episode in maybe more than a year now, but it's called The Mystic Show. Okay. And I have like 190 something episodes, but over the last like five years, I put out like one episode a year because sure. I'm not doing it anymore, but I'd still want to keep it alive. But it's really, it goes into really deep into spirituality and all those topics because to me as a human being, I'm interested, and I know this is just my personality, but I'm more interested in the unseen, the things that you can't see with your eyes, like which is 99.9999% of your life is unseen. You can't see it, but it's there and you know it's there. So there's such a depth to this human experience and to just get caught up in the superficial day-to-day -day news cycle is very, is so superficial. And it's, again, and I'm not, denigrating it. It is what it is. Like everyone is on their journey. Everyone is somewhere along the journey and all the phases of the journey are good. 
even when someone is an animal who's killing other people, let's say. Like, sure. you're still on the journey. It's So it's all, in the big picture, it's all good. That's what I love about life is the unseen, the otherworldly, because it's so interesting. And that's sort of where we come from. I mean, where did humans come from? I mean, if you believe in the Big Bang, it's we started from nothing. Sure. It's so fascinating, right? It is. I think it's one of those things. I've had the benefit of having worked with like plant medicines. I've done ayahuasca and I've done mushrooms. I had a profound experience when I had done an ayahuasca session. The best way to describe it is I saw the moment that I selected my parents. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my mother and my father, and this is the family dynamic that I'm going to be born in because as a soul, I've made a decision that these are the issues that I need to work through. And this is the family unit that's going to allow me to do that. <laughs> it was so crazy and profound. And then I saw my father like as a teenager and I kind of like envisioned him walking the street. And then the message came through like loud and clear. It said, you and your father have always been connected. And sometimes you're the father, sometimes he's the father, sometimes your brother. And I'll, pff, I just start bawling for like 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, that profound realization that we're all interconnected souls on this journey together. And sometimes we have to come into like physical form to kind of be reminded of some feelings and stuff that we have to work through. But my true belief is that I'm an incarnated soul who made a decision, a conscious decision to come to earth with like a list of things that I felt like I wanted to work on, sort of like my 3D training and knowing that I'd come here and I'd forget where I came from. But I've been just grateful enough to just start to become more awake and more aware of exactly what you were pointing to, the fact that we're all sort of interconnected in some ways we can't even understand. It's the great mystery of life. When did this thought process start to come online for you? The deeper thinking and spiritual thoughts and stuff. I probably didn't share this story last time, but in 2003, my life had become really just terrible. Like I had no job. I had no car. I was staying in my friend's basement. Like I basically ran my life into the ground at 30 years old, 31 years old. And I really, again, sleeping in my friend's basement in the winter with no heat down there in New Jersey. Wow. I was thinking to myself, like, what's wrong with me? Like, I know I'm at least average intelligence, probably a little more than average. I don't know. But so I'm at least average. How did my life become an absolute mess? When I was in high school, I thought I was cool. I thought I was going to be successful. And then my life became this. And I was like, what happened? And I don't know, in my 20s, I guess ever since maybe I was 19 or so, I think I read Communion by Whitley Strieber, which is about the aliens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's just started a whole thing. But <laughs> it's just weird. I always knew I wanted to meditate, but I didn't know how. I didn't know what to do. And so when I was 31 and my life was literally in the toilet, I was like, you know what? I don't know what else to do. So I found a meditation teacher local to me and I started meditating with this certain practice, which originated in India. And that's it. I started that practice from the moment I started that practice. I knew it was what I needed and what I wanted and I knew it was real. And I just went with it like hard for like, meaning I was dedicated to it for, well, till now, which is about 20 years later. So Anyway, but 2003, four, and five is when I made a lot, like I started cleaning up my life and getting my stuff together. And so for me, I needed to practice and meditation was the key because our mind is the issue. Yeah. Our bodies are what they are. Our soul is pure. It's part of God. 
It is what it is. So our soul is what it is. Our body is what it is. So the only thing, the thing that's in the middle, which some of the mystics say that the mind is like a knot between the soul and the body. The mind is the only thing that we can change or manipulate or massage or improve or regulate. And so when I started meditating and started regulating my mind, everything just, I was letting more of a natural flow come through my life and that directed me where I needed to go. What was that like to feel that sense of maybe mental freedom or ease when it had been something you had been struggling to feel up until that point? Yeah, it was liberating for sure. It's very subtle, like spiritual progress and meditation. It's all very subtle, except when you start. When you start meditation, you get clobbered with a bazillion thoughts. Like, and, and that's when everyone says, oh, I'm not able to meditate. I can't do it. And it's like... No. I just keep thinking and keep thinking. I'd studied a, a, in Buddhism. They, told, they tell you it's... Imagine it's a blackboard or a whiteboard. And as each thought comes during the meditation, you just mentally take the, the eraser and just erase it. Erase it. Just keep erasing it. And don't judge it. Don't attach onto it. Your thoughts, it should be like, your mind should be like a thief coming to an empty house. So if you think about it, someone's going to rob a house, they come, they're ready to like take all the stuff, but there's nothing in the house. The thief is just like, ah, I'm going to go. And so that's like emotions, like anger comes and you're like, mm, nothing. it's just like super like Zen and be like, don't feed it because the emotion of anger is going to come in and be like, well, there's nothing here to hold on to. So I'm just going to leave. <laughs> so that just speaks a little bit. That's what I was reminded of when uh, you, you said that. Yeah. And the practice I was doing says just your thoughts as if they're just like floating by like a cloud in the sky and just let it float by. Like, don't try to hold on to it. Don't try to push it away either. Don't, you just don't do anything. Sure. You just yeah. do nothing. And that's a hard concept in the beginning, right? How do I remain passive when I'm getting bombarded with stray thoughts and weird things? And the truth, but the beauty is, here's the beauty for anyone listening who has not started meditating yet. Once you start meditating, as soon as you start, you're going to get clobbered with thoughts. But here's the thing, over days and weeks and months, if you do it every day, and you'll have fewer thoughts. And it takes time. It takes like six months, a year, two, three years for this for progress to be made. But this progress is amazing. I mean, I, for instance, once, I think one realization I had was about a year after I was meditating, I was in a grocery store. And I think the person in front of me started arguing like with the person behind me something happened and it was like an argument and like yeah i wasn't really involved but i could have potentially inserted myself or something sure but because i was meditating i was just i literally just went into that mode and i just didn't do anything i didn't say anything i didn't i didn't do anything and it just whatever happened happened and then it just drifted away and i was like man it's amazing it was amazing to me at the time i was like wow that's cool i can do that What's interesting is, I think, this ability to remain neutral in a troubling situation or just a chaotic situation. I think some people who see it from the outside sometimes observe it as indifference or, or that you don't care or that you don't have feelings. And I, that's something I sort of pushed up against when I learned, you know, just started practicing Buddhism consistently. I, I don't do it now, but it, there's a lot of things that were valuable then. But it was really like not getting upset over things I have no control over that I don't have the ability to change in that exact moment. And so just like the, just be the observing mind and 
not attached, I think, because that's the problem with people that are either trying to fix something or they try to engage with something or just emotionally react to something. And I think that's almost like the test of how well your practice is progressing if you have an incident like you had, where you're just like, it just happened instinctually, which is great. Yeah, didn't have to think about it. My mind had become regulated to some degree. And so, because if you don't regulate your mind, what happens is your mind just runs rampant, runs haywire, and you should be the master of your mind. Your mind should not be the master of you. So the mind is just a tool. The mind is just an aspect of ourselves. It's not who you are, right? Are you your body? No. Are you your mind? No. Are you your soul? No. What are you? You're all of it. And each is just an aspect of you. So the mind, and I talk about this in my book. I actually wrote a self-help book back in 2009 called Leap Beyond Your Limits. Oh, we'll make sure to link to that. A lot of it is about the mental stuff. It's like your mental attitude and your mental habits are literally the only thing you have any control over in this world. You don't have any control if, well, let's say your height. I was going to use another thing, but let's say your height. You don't really have any control over your height, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And other physical things you don't really have control over. And you don't even know, and your soul, you don't even know what that is. So let's not pretend that, oh, I am my soul and what I like. No, you literally don't know what it is because none of us know what that is, right? Sure. So, but the mind, the mind is where we can do it. Attitude and habits. What inspired you to write the book? Oh, I had been into self-help from even before I hit my low. Remember when I ended up in my friend's basement? Even before that, I had been listening to Tony Robbins because I loved it. I don't know why. I just love self-help. I love this idea that you can literally make a decision in your life and focus and you can literally change your entire life. Like you can, there's nothing stopping you. There's no people that are stopping you. There's no government that is stopping you. Nothing is stopping you except you. So I always love that. So I've been into self-help forever. And then, yeah, so in the mid-2000s, I was working for my family business, roofing and siding company. In high school, I was up on the roof working. Like I'd been roofing like my whole life. But in the mid-2000s, I was doing sales, right? At least I wasn't carrying shingles anymore. But I just got tired of doing sales and being in the contracting business, even though it was my family business. I wanted to become almost like a life coach or something like that. I didn't know what that was. But then that's when I decided to write my book and start coaching. That was a fun era of my life. That was like a good three, four years. And of course, looking back on it, it was really just for me. Like I thought I was doing it to help other people. But in reality, really anything you do is really just for you in the end. I mean, you can help other people. You can help other people. That's You can. Mother Teresa, right? But in the end, Mother Teresa benefited more than any single person she helped, right? Yeah, because it, you have, it has, it's almost like function of your mission or your values or your purpose. Like in life, I've been fascinated with this concept of ikigai. I think it's six things. It's like what you're good at what you can get paid for, what you're meant to do. I'm missing like three or four others. But anyway, you piece all these together. And eventually, like when you get that thing in the circle, that's like your ikigai. That's like the thing you're meant to do here on this earth. And I've been conscious of that, especially as it relates to the work we do at the agency. I was like, oh, we're just a B2B agency, but like everyone else is. And I'm just like, uh. So I started just wearing sort of my conscious spirituality stuff outwards now, just coming out of the spiritual closet, like I say. And you may have seen some of this in some of my online posts, but I'm just like open about like everything that I believe in. You know, I talked about plant medicine earlier, but 
we can go down any rabbit hole related to ancient civilizations like light worker star seeds like the fairy realm astral projection multi-dimensional <laughs> travel like just all that stuff i love it all and i've probably gone down all egypt that stuff just all stuff fascinates me and stuff atlantis like all this stuff yeah lemuria like whatever we want to talk about so now it's just like oh and um, i'm working with a new coach who kind of has this exercise of creating this best in the world statement and i'm like okay so i've been testing out this new one that says I'm the cosmic conduit for awakened souls ready to transmit their message to a global audience. Beautiful. Which sounds so much better than podcast producer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wonderful, dude. That is so good. Yeah. And I think it's just a, this awareness of just like being able to like breathe and be like, oh, this is like me. This is to your point, like what you were saying, just like this is, I like talking about this stuff. This is who I am. Like, why am I going to have like these two different personalities in, you know, coming out of corporate for 20 years, <laughs> you've got your suit and tie, Harry, and then you've got your like Friday night, Harry. And then like, like, I, what's funny is I used to, I grew up DJing on vinyl and turntables. And that's like my first passion before podcasting. And I had a gig in New York City where I DJ vinyl. And then I would tell people like, oh yeah, I work at a bank. And they're like, wait, you're a banker? I mean, I don't, can't believe it because I was DJing. And then in the people in the bank, I'd be like, oh yeah, and I DJ like on Friday nights. They're like, wait, <laughs> you're a DJ? <laughs> I think people are so quick to put other folks in like this one little container. And we're so multidimensional. We're so, we have so many interests. And like, I don't know if, you know, I wonder if you could speak to maybe like how you've been able to over time just bring all the things that light you up into like into who we see as Chris now. Yeah, for me it's just been natural and by the way it's happening right now. I feel like I'm in another metamorphosis. Yeah. Of sorts right now. But yeah, okay. I've always I've been into different things. Pretty much everything you mentioned I've researched and been into as well at one point or another and I've had so many different jobs and so many different industries and the opposite of just the regular corporate person. And I don't know, for me, I just, I have to do something that I like or I find interesting. Even when I was doing sales, I took a sales training program, which was fascinating. And by the way, I actually introduced some of those sales techniques in my podcast engineering school course, because when people learn how to produce podcasts and they want to learn how to produce podcasts from home and make a living doing it, you need clients. You have to sell your services to clients. And you, so you have to know how to sell to some degree. There's some really like ninja mental sales techniques that really work. It takes a while to learn them because they're counterintuitive. So anyway, even when I was doing sales, I was into that because I was like learning a techniques. And even right after high school, after high school, I went to one year of college. That whole year, I just wasn't into it. I was like, I don't want to be in school anymore. So after one year, I dropped out. My parents were mortified, but I'm just like, I literally can't do it. I just, I don't want to be an electrical engineer. I don't even know what that means. You know, like, I don't know. Okay, I'm good at math and science. So what? Yeah. And so I ended up working for a year. But then, because I was into music my whole life and even recording and engineering, which I had been doing already, I had been in bands, I had recorded our demos. I decided, you know what? I'm going to go to recording school. I can have a career as an audio engineer. And so I went to recording school. Then I went to Manhattan and I became an intern. Then I became an assistant engineer. Then I became an engineer. And I have a lot of album credits. I worked with a lot of famous people in New York over a four-year period in the early mid-90s. What's one name that 
You find you remember finally all of them: Biggie Smalls, Puffy. Nice. I even worked a little with Jeff Buckley. <laughs> oh wow! Sarah McLaughlin remix. Oh man! So many rap artists. Oh, and you Biggie and Puff Daddy in, in New York City. That's pretty good. Yeah, and so many other. But anyway, it was cool. And literally, believe it or not, those four years in New York that changed my whole life because. <laughs> and this is why when I talk to young people and they ask me for advice, like what should I do or I should. I always say, like, go do one thing and go really far and deep into that one thing. Like, in your 20s, in your early 20s, try sure. to make a lot of progress in one direction. Like, spend three or four years doing what you love, but go all the way into it. And within those three or four or five years, that can be the basis literally for the rest of your life. And that's what it's been for me. Because now, once I got into podcasting in 2012, I already knew everything about audio. So I'm different than other members of my family and most other people in general, where I keep switching up what I'm doing, which on one hand is good because it keeps me interested and it keeps me motivated. But on the other hand, you look at people who have been in the same industry for 35 years, they've achieved so much because they stayed in it for 35 years. Like they kept doing the same thing for 35 years. And so I could never achieve that their level sure but it's just different it's just a different path and both have their pros and cons so it's okay can you talk a little bit about metamorphosis you're going through now yeah so now okay so obviously i'm still doing podcast engineering school and i love it i love it there's nothing i love more than podcast engineering school how many years are we at now 2016 so six plus years yeah congrats more than 110 people have come through my school nice so awesome it's been great i love it and about a year and a half ago, or about a year ago, I'd say, well, actually two years ago in 2020, I started offloading my production clients. So I was actually producing podcasts for clients, but I sort of wanted to focus more on my school. So what I did sometimes, and I only had a handful of clients. So sometimes when the contract would come up, I would just say like, look, I'm not, I don't want to renew the contract. And so I'll help you find another podcast producer for sure. And cause I wanted to take, obviously I took care of them. I didn't just dump my clients, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I took care of them, but I basically said, I'm not doing day-to-day -day production anymore. Sure. So for the past, I'd say year, I haven't done any day-to-day -day production, which yeah. look, I'm grateful for that because my school was doing well enough, right? Yeah. But now, so for the last year and a half, I bought a guitar and I've been playing, I'm a drummer. That has always been my instrument, the drum. Sure. But I could sort of play a little guitar, a little bass, whatever. So I bought a guitar. I started coming up with riffs and arrangements. And so I want to start writing songs again. I've been in many bands in the past. So that's one thing I want to do. And I'm working on it. But it's hard. It's easy when you're young and you're a teenager and like all your friends. Like, no, when you're young and no one has anything to do, it's easy to hang out and jam. But like, okay, earlier this year, I turned 50. And as a 50-year-old trying to find people to jam with or write songs with, I can't find anybody. No one has time. No one has any time, which I get, Yeah. but that's kind of sad. Well, it seems like, uh, obviously, as an entrepreneur, my marketing brain is always like firing and then like, well, that just sounds like an app, right? Just jam with me or something like that, but virtually, right? So people... And I think the technology is getting better and better at it. I was actually checking, talking with Zach from Squadcast about like musicians should be using this platform to like do jam sessions. You know, yeah. I'm sure this, some of the technical stuff could be figured out, but that would be fun. Just not having to worry about <laughs> finding three more bandmates in your neighborhood. Yeah, that's definitely an opportunity. In fact, there's another 
platform. I forget what it's called, but they specialize in remote jamming and okay. they optimize their system for the lowest possible latency. Yeah, 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 because that's the thing. So you can be like a couple states away and the latency is not too bad. But if you're like, if one person's in New York and one person's in LA, it's still not fast enough. But anyway, so I'm looking to jam with people. The other thing I started doing was creating fractal art. Oh, cool. So I create fractal art and already posted some as NFTs. Okay. But anyway, I've made over 6,000 pieces of fractal art on this one cool app that I use. They're not all like earth shatteringly awesome, but a lot of them are. And I just love fractals anyway. So I want to start. Anyway, I have other ideas of things I want to go into, but these are things I want to do. And like most people might wait till they retire, till they're 65 or 70 before they start doing this. But my mindset is like, no, I'm going to do it now. Like I'm not going to, of course, why would I wait 15 years? I might not even be here. Right. So that's where I am now is like, and music, it makes sense. The whole trying to write songs and maybe even produce some younger talent. Oh, yeah. Because That's again, right. I've art, I know how to do it. You've done it. <laughs> yeah, so. That's exciting. I imagine what happens is it fires off like different parts of your brain. You don't feel like you're in this of like just doing the same thing day over day. Then creatively, I think when you can do things like you do in the fractal art, like you've written the book, you're creating the music. I imagine they're just all slightly different parts of your creative brain. And when you get them all working at the same time, I'm assuming that that's really like what lights you up. Yeah, I really do like creating and all that stuff. I mean, I don't know. Life obviously is different since COVID, but I don't know. Again, it's just hard. I just don't know. Maybe I got to get out in my own town here in Colorado Springs. Maybe I got to meet more local people or something, but I just feel, cause I work from home obviously. So I just feel so disconnected from everything. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just feel like life was different before all this. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's how I liked it. Like I want to be in a room with my band. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to do it virtually, honestly. Right. But anyway, maybe that's too old school now. <laughs> no, I think there is, there's going to be, I feel like with all this stuff, it's just like a pendulum swing. And we, there's something, we got so dependent on our phones during COVID that we were just like, we had to force everything through there. And apps like Clubhouse were common and everyone just figured out Zoom. It's like, oh my God, we're only going to be able to do this. And now we, Natalie, my partner Natalie talks about this a little bit, just kind of we've been sort of almost trained in a way to feel like that's the way things are going to be. And so we have to like unlearn these coping mechanisms that we had for connecting remotely and then just like get back into like more you know mix it in with some of what you're saying just like finding people who are like-minded in your community putting out the signal being the first person that says hey i'm having this meetup at the library about this topic come join me in the first three months it's just you and two other people <laughs> but you know just doing those things i think are going to help us restore some of this sanity and this imbalance that we've been experiencing, I think, over the past two years. Totally. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that's difficult, though. Writing lyrics and melodies. I mean, for me, like some people might do that. I can write guitar riffs all day long. I can make arrangements. I can write drum parts. I can do anything. But writing lyrics and then singing it with a melody over music, like I've just never done it. And it's here's part of the problem is I'm a professional in the audio industry, in the recording industry. So like if I try to sing something, I can actually hear how bad it is. Like most people who are amateurs, they might sing and they might write words and they might just sing it. They don't know if it's good or bad, right? The problem is I have a trained ear. So when I'm like a toddler trying to sing and, you know, like I actually 
I can tell how bad it is. You know what I mean? Like I can actually feel the awfulness. And so it just makes it harder to do it. It's weird. <laughs> you think that's like a special skill set that like singers have that they bring to a band that this ability to like sing. And I imagine most of them have the ability to also write lyrics and stuff like that. So that's so it seems like a unique and special skill set. Definitely. Definitely. Because like I said, drums, no problem. I just hear it, but singing a melody, it doesn't come to me second nature. So it's just another instrument. The voice is just another instrument. Some people are good with that instrument. Some people are good with guitar only or something. Sure. So for anyone's listening, who's got some aspirations of being the front man for Fractal Frogs, Chris's new band. That's right. Let's make some hits. You only need really one hit. You only need one. You could be a one hit wonder and get paid really well. <laughs> That's it. You just need one. Just need to get lucky once. So as we wrap up, my friend, what's anything top of mind for you in the podcasting world or anything that is interesting for you that you've noticed? Yeah. I mean, I went to PodFest. That was fun. Nice to see you there, obviously, and Natalie. That was really fun. Although I got sick. As soon as I came home, I was sick. And then it's literally did. still lingering. Yeah. Weird stuff. Anyway, I don't know. Podcasting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I still love it. I'm still in it. It just changes. Things change as you've been in them for longer, right? Yeah. So I still love it and I still do my own show, although it's getting harder and harder to do my own show. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, how often can I talk about compression and EQ and background <laughs> noise and plugins? And I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I still love podcasting. So one thing I've been following, and this is more in the music industry, is this relates to crypto, which I'm also interested in, Yeah, is releasing songs as NFTs. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it because <laughs> we don't have really time to explain it. Sure. But now, but people, I think in the podcast world, this is going to take a while. This is not going to happen this year, but probably not even next year. There is going to become a company or a platform that allows you to release your podcast episodes as NFTs, meaning that each episode is its own NFT and listeners can buy that NFT and that's a way to support the podcaster, obviously, sure. but also potentially down the road if those episodes could become worth even more. So I don't know, the whole blockchain... There's someone that's doing that already. So have you heard of Uncut.fm? Oh, yes. That's right. Yes. Uh, Sam spoke, Sam Sethi from Podland spoke to the founder. So I met someone who launched their show on the platform at PodFest and he told me about them as well. So I was been meaning to dig into it a little bit more because I think the founder sent me an email. So I might, I might try to have him on Podcast Junkies just to dig in and learn about that. But I think it's fascinating. So I think we're close if we're not there already with people who are experimenting with that. So that's cool. It is cool. The only issue is the, the for lack of a better word, the retail side, like the people who are actually going to buy these NFTs, there's just not enough of them, not enough of those people yet because no one knows what they really are. So everything in crypto and NFTs, everything is going to hit a critical mass. It might take another two, three, four, five years. Yeah, it's coming though. But it's coming and then, yeah. yeah. So, As we uh, wrap up, what's ask my favorite questions? What's something you changed your mind about recently? Something I changed my mind about recently. Oh, the first thing that came to mind was like a social political thing, so I'm not going to say <laughs> that. I'll tell you what, for me personally, yeah. I got COVID about nine months ago in the fall of 21, I got COVID. And then since then, it, my health-wise, it's been one thing or another. And I've always been just 100% healthy forever. I didn't even used to get sick ever. 
Yeah, same here. I probably went literally 20 years without literally getting sick. Of course, I'm probably exaggerating, but I've probably been sick here or there mildly. Yeah, I'll count it on one hand. The idea, but it's like, man, this is, I don't know, it's kind of a pain in the butt. And I'm not, like I said, I'm 50 and I'm healthy. So maybe this is just COVID related or whatever, but it's just weird. So anyway, I guess I can't picture myself as Superman anymore, right? I guess now I'm human. Well, yeah, I'm 51 going on 52 and been more conscious of this, how as you get older, you start to lose muscle mass faster and it's harder to get back. So I found this cool app called Muscle Booster, which I'm doing on my phone. It just, it's all body weight exercises and some of them are like seven to 10 minutes and so now I've incorporated, so when I do my meditations and then I'm like, I do my 10 minutes and sometimes it's occasionally a 20 minute session, but that's it. I mean, you just, and it's all body weight stuff between planks and push ups and squats. And you'd be surprised how you can really like push your body to its ability to start to grow muscle. But I think I'm conscious of like supplements. I've got some really pretty good supplements I'm taking. I just want to get some vitamin C. Just, I really want to just, I don't want to just feel like this is the, the way things are going to be. I just have to almost like double down. I'm just like learning more about how we maintain our bodies and the age old advice. Do you say like, oh, you're just getting old, just live with it. And I'm sort of like pushing back against that. <laughs> yeah, I don't accept that. If you can do what's in your control, that's the best you can do. And so are you vegetarian? Pescatarian. Okay. So it's fish now, but interestingly enough, something we are trying is venison that uh, natalie's father has actually hunted because the whole idea was like factory farming mistreatment of animals all that sort of stuff and the suffering we recently had some venison and then there's a project in maui called maui venison and there's a part of the island that's overrun with deer like eighty thousand deer it's just overpopulation it's destroying the ecosystem there and so what they've done is they've established like this company there called maui venison and then what they do is they actually hunt at night with like sharpshooter night scope rifles. So one shot, they're down. There's no fear. There's no suffering. And they've lived an amazing life <laughs> on the island. We just got a shipment in and we cooked for the very, I haven't had meat in such a long time. And we had the burgers and the tenderloins. It was crazy how it tasted. And it's just night and day between that and like a factory farm hamburger. So I think what we're doing is just being more conscientious about what we put in our stomach, not making just a blank, I don't eat meat, I do eat meat, I don't eat meat. Just the reasons behind it is something that we're giving more thought to now. That's awesome. Cool. Well, Harry, thank you. This has been wonderful to catch up. Yeah. Love your show, man. Yeah. And I'm grateful for, with every conversation, just like, pulling our own threads and getting to know you as a person and just like exploring all these little rabbit holes that we like to go down because I think it lets the listener know that, Hey, this is okay on a podcast. You don't have to, it's a podcast about podcasting, but we didn't really talk about podcasting. Right. <laughs> we just talked about like you and that's my whole intention when I started the show. And I'm glad I'm feeling more comfortable in my skin to start doing that and just saying like, Hey, the common thread is podcasting brought us together, but there's so much more to our lives than that. So if folks want to connect with you, follow you, learn more about the engineering school, I know there's a lot of stuff we talked about here. So what are some links or some resources you want to share with folks? Sure. Yeah. Just, I mean, the main one is podcastengineeringschool.com. So if you could just link to that in the show notes, that'd be great. That's, you could find Thanks again to me Chris through for there and the that's show. my school and- that's it's episode 300. It's very uh, yeah. and then if you an emotional to roller coaster. Down those uh, rabbit holes, Chris, um, I'm sure. Ups and downs <laughs> when it comes to the podcast. <laughs> mostly ups, you know. 
And Thanks again for your time. Uh, really I really appreciate it. Happy Thanks, to be sharing this experience with you. Grateful for Chris to come on and share an hour of his time and talk about his stories. And the fact that we talked about spirituality was really interesting because I myself, as I've explained to people that are following me online recently, I'm coming out of the spiritual closet. I've been very spiritual since probably like the late 90s. And all aspects of my business, all aspects of the things that I do as it relates to the people that I work with at our agency, it's all around the folks, what I called awakened souls who are ready to share their message with a global audience. And it just so happened that we talked about it on this show, which is just fitting. And I think it makes a lot of sense and nothing happens for no reason, as I am uh, very apt to remind people. And so if you are finding this for the first time, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Harry Duran FC. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook as well. So thank you so much. I look forward to bringing you another fantastic interview with the likes of Jeremy End, and that's going to be next week. And we, again, dig deep into podcasting, tech stuff, marketing stuff, geeking out on all things podcasting, and who better to do that with than Jeremy Ends. I'm sure you'll love that conversation as well. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically my favorite, their new line, the Vocaster line. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. That's me. You can learn more at fullcast.co to see if what we do is a fit for your message. And if you made it this far, you're waiting for our retention hashtag. You can tag Chris at podcast engineer and us at podcast underscore junkies or me rather <laughs> at podcast underscore junkies. And let's go with the retention hashtag engineer Chris. Thank you again. It's been an amazing journey and it's going to continue. I appreciate all you do until we meet again. Hope to see your podcast movement or next episode. And if you're wondering what that sizzling sound is in the back, that's my partner getting dinner ready for us <laughs> as I get ready for my conference tomorrow. And this is the beauty and the joys of independent podcasting and the reality of what our situation sounds like. I thought I'd just leave that in there. Taking imperfect action always. <laughs>